Thank you, Carla. If you have your Bibles open to John chapter 13, we are going to look at a remarkable moment uh, in the life of Christ. I wasn't going to say anything this morning, but I'm going to ask you if you would, uh, if you would pray for me as I'm preaching. Uh, if you were here Sunday night, um, I had an issue with the chest pain uh, that sort of took everybody by surprise, but especially me, and, and it looks like uh, this morning is another one of those times. So if you would just pray about that, uh, I would appreciate it. I've got something on my heart that I would like us to receive from the Lord. And so we're going to look at John chapter 13 and walk through this event. We're reading about something that took place the night before Jesus went to the cross. We know that the day before that, or, or at least earlier in that same day, uh, the Savior told two of his disciples, Peter and John, uh, he said in Luke chapter 22, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. He directed them to a house and uh, said, tell the master of the house there, the owner of the house, that the master is coming and so make everything ready. And the Passover was the, one of the biggest celebrations among the Jewish people. They're remembering the night God brought Israel out of bondage in Egypt and uh, they, they, slay, they, they slew the lamb, put the blood around the door and the death angel passed over everybody that had the blood applied. The Jewish people have been celebrating that in almost exactly the same manner for the last 3,500 years or so. Very little has changed uh, in this, this process of the Passover. It's about a three-hour meal uh, that they share together and they go back in time and relive every moment of it. And the Savior is sharing that with his disciples. During that evening, there was a lot of conversation that went back and forth. As the Savior is preparing his disciples for what is about to happen in the next few hours, he'd be betrayed, he'd be beaten, he'd be crucified, and within 24 hours, he would be in a grave. And there's a lot of conversation that went back and forth. And John's gospel gives us more of that conversation than all the rest of them do. And John also includes some details that aren't found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, including this text in John chapter 13. What we're looking at tonight begins with the Savior doing something very unexpected. Very, very unexpected. I'm not sure about you. I like things done in a certain way. I am a creature of habit. Uh, we found that out. We tease about it a little bit. Uh, we changed the seating in here for a kindergarten graduation, and we sort of, for some reason, just kept it that way for a while. And some people were okay with that, but there were others just, you didn't like it very much at all. And it was rubbing you the wrong way because we just get used to sitting in the same place and, and all of that. And, and so when things change, we're not always good with that, are we? The, the disciples are about to have everything interrupted, this Passover. Remember, they've always celebrated it the same way, but that night, Jesus did something very, very unexpected. The Bible says when the supper was ended, he took his outer garments off, and he took a towel, it would have been a, probably a very long cloth, he wrapped it around his waist and he went and got a basin of water and came in and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, in those days when you went out, if you went over to somebody's house for dinner, 
Generally, you'd, you'd wash up before you left. You'd put on some nice clothes and you'd make the trip there. They walked most everywhere they went. And uh, they wore sandals. The roads were dirt covered and sand and all that. So as they walked, their feet would get very dirty. So the custom was when you walked into somebody's house, you took your sandals off so you don't track dirt into the house. They did not sit in chairs to eat like we do around a dining room table. Their tables were actually very, very low to the ground. And instead of chairs around that table, they would have uh, a couch, if you will. Uh, not a couch with a back like these chairs or what we think of. Um, it would be like a very small, narrow twin bed. Just kind of get that in your mind. And they'd be lined up around the table and they'd actually recline on those things. And they'd lean on one elbow with their head towards the table and then they'd just reach over and take their food. They believed that it aided digestion. So that's, that's why they did that. And their feet were sticking off at this end, okay? The custom was that when you walked into the house, someone would wash your feet so that when you're reclining, you don't have all these gross, dirty feet sticking. I think feet are nasty anyhow, whether they're clean or dirty. Uh, but dirty feet especially, ew, you know, that type of thing. So that was, that was generally the rule. Somebody would wash your feet. Well, apparently that night, nobody did that. Peter and John were supposed to make sure all of these details were cared for but they didn't do it. And by the way, there was a reason why they didn't do it. We'll get to that in a little bit into the message. So since it wasn't done, the Savior got up. He didn't say a word to anybody. He got up, took his uh, outer garment off, got that towel around him, got a basin of water, and he starts going around person by person washing their feet. The Son of the Almighty God is washing the feet of sinful men. He washed Judas Iscariot's feet that night. And uh, they're, they're, they're kind of silent until he got to Peter. You, you can just see them looking at each other saying, what on earth is going on? I can sort of see Peter and John going, oh man, we were supposed to make sure that this was cared for. And so they're, they're feeling guilty. And it might be that the other guys are looking at them saying, Dude, you dropped the ball. You know how we get uh, in situations like that. And so Jesus is doing something very unexpected. We understand this in verse number six. When he got to Peter, look if you would please, then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Now Peter was not stupid. Obviously he knew Jesus was washing his feet. That is not the purpose of his question. Peter's response was one of astonishment that again, the son of a living God would stoop so low as to wash the feet of a person as sinful as he was. It was unexpected. As we take our journey in this Christian life, the Lord is from time to time going to do things that we did not expect, that, that we weren't counting on. It, we, we're going to have our plan, and all of a sudden, God's going to interject his own, and we're going to be taken by surprise. Sometimes it's a Job moment. You understand Job got up one day, and he was the wealthiest man in his world. 
The Bible says he was the most spiritual man of his generation. He had vast holdings and flocks and herds and servants and all of those things. For Job, it was just going to be a day like the one before and the one before that. But by the time that day was over, his wealth was gone and he got the word that all 10 of his children had passed away. And just like that, Job's world was turned upside down. God allowed that to happen. We know that from Job chapters one and two. God allowed it to happen, but for Job, it came out of nowhere. And sometimes the Lord does that. He allows things to happen in our life and it's a Job moment, it's a trial. It is some kind of trouble. Sometimes it's like the upper room here with the disciples gathered around. This wasn't a matter of suffering. This wasn't a matter of tribulation of any kind. It is just the Lord doing something out of the ordinary and something, something perplexing to them. But from time to time, God is going to do that in our lives. I mentioned last Sunday evening in the course of the message that some, uh, oh, I guess 40 years ago now, uh, we were at my parents' house for their wedding anniversary on a Saturday night. It was cold, it was rainy, and I left uh, to drive about 30 miles to where I live so I could get home, and I was a youth pastor in a church in Apollo, Pennsylvania, and I need to get home so I get to bed and get up early in the morning, run a bus route, be ready for church and so forth. I got about a mile and a half from my parents' house, and my car just shut itself off. I didn't do anything, it just shut itself off. And I, I couldn't figure out what was going on uh, and so forth. Um, I got out and uh, it's dark, it's rainy, it's cold. And I knew I had to walk all the way back to my dad's house, dad and mom's house. Um, I, I was uh, so mad that I thought the car needed to learn a lesson. So I kicked it. The car didn't care, but I broke my toe. Um, you know, we do dumb things sometimes, don't we? And I stomped all the way back home. I opened the door and walked in and everybody said, what are you doing here? And I was in a foul mood and, and, and I was mad, my stupid car and blah, 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 blah. The Lord allowed something to happen to me that was inconvenient. He allowed something to happen to me that I couldn't comprehend. And now I'm thinking I got a broken down car and I, I, I'm going to have to have a towed or something. And, and how am I going to get home and so forth? But as time went on, within 24 hours, I saw that that was God. Because see, the next day, my sister and her husband came to church with me. They're the ones that took me home. They came to church with me. And during the morning service, my sister got right with God. She'd been out of the, the Lord's will and out of church for some three years or so. And my brother-in-law got saved and they've been in church ever since. God used that broken down car to arrange a situation that they had to give me a ride home because God wanted them to be in church so Jim could get saved and Joyce could come back to the Lord. But I had to deal with the inconvenience and sometimes God lets unexpected things happen. Does he not? How many have had them happen? You're thinking of one right now. There's something else about this, this moment. Not only did God cause, or, or did the Savior do something unexpected, he left it unexplained. He didn't give an answer right away. Look, if you would, please. Again, in verse six, then cometh thee to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? 
Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. So Jesus didn't explain to Peter what was going on. Jesus had a reason for it. There was a big teaching moment that was about to happen. Yea, there was even a rebuke coming their way. And the Savior wanted them to learn this truth so that they could be the followers of Christ they ought to be. But he didn't explain it. He said, what I'm doing right now, I know you don't understand, but just hold your horses, Peter. In good time, I'll tell you what it's all about. Um, sometimes God answers us right away. Sometimes God lets us know the reason for things. I knew within 24 hours the reason for my broken down car, but it doesn't always work that way. Job went through months and months and months of trial. I've mentioned this many times. I've reminded us there's no record in Scripture that God ever told Job why it happened. We know because the Bible gives us Job chapters 1 and 2, but there's no evidence that God ever explained that to Job. Sometimes that is what happened. By the way, God not giving Job a reason was, one of, was the cause of some of his major frustration. In Job chapter 13, verse 22, Job is speaking, and he's speaking to and about the Lord. And, and listen to what he said. He's talking to God. If you, I'm going to put the word God in there. God, then call thou, and I will answer, or let me speak, and answer thou me. God, either you talk to me and tell me what's going on, or I'm going to talk to you, and I expect an answer. It's kind of brazen, isn't it? Kind of bold. Oh, you and I never get frustrated with God, though, when things aren't working out and we don't understand what's going on. Uh, and I said that facetiously because as I stomped all the way up to my parents' house that cold, rainy night, Job and I were keeping very good company. And I was demanding of God a reason why, and it was inconveniencing me in the whole nine yards, and I wasn't even thinking, I wonder if God's involved in this. I wonder if God's going to do something. What's God's purpose on this? At the end of the book of Job, God appears, and he, start, he starts talking to Job. And he just asks Job a bunch of questions. So Job, Job. You're demanding all these answers. I mean, let me, let me ask you a question. Job, have you ever made a snowflake? Have you ever made a mountain of them? Uh, Job, did you ever create a dinosaur, behemoth or leviathan? Uh, Job, uh, can you name the stars? I mean, like all of them, all the billions of stars. Can you name them? Because if not, I can I made them, I put them there. And God just went several chapters of these things expressing his power and listened to Job's final response, Job 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I understood that I under, uh, uh, therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. In other words, Job's saying, here I am shooting my mouth off about things I don't even comprehend. 
I'm demanding answers from a God who knows more than I can even begin to understand. He said, um, he, he quotes himself. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Job is saying, I can't believe I said that. I actually said that to God. He said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, God wanted Job just to get to the place saying, Job, I am God and you are not. There are going to be times you just need to trust me. You just need to know I've got it all under control. Sometimes, beloved, we just find ourselves in those moments and we just have to, to trust in what God said. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. In his time. God does that. Romans 8.28, we know it. We quote it, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. There are times when God does or allows the unexpected in our lives. We can't understand it, and we're asking God why, but he's not telling us yet. By the way, he might not tell us till we get to heaven. And he just wants us to wait on him and trust him. David said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. I'm not good at waiting patiently on anything. If I, I don't do fast food very often, but when I go through the drive through window at a fast food place, I expect fast food. Am I right? Anybody else like that? I don't wait patiently very well, but there are times God said, you need to learn to be still and know that I am God. So the Lord does something unexpected and then he just doesn't explain it to them. Look at Peter's response. Peter responds to this in unbelief. Verse number eight, Peter saith unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. That's a bold statement. The Savior's right there. He's apparently washed several of the disciples' feet uh, before he got to Peter. When he came there, this conversation begins to, to unfold. And the Savior said, look, I know you don't understand it now, but you will hereafter. And Peter said, if you're not going to explain it, you're not going to do it. And Peter is, he, he's, he's defying the Savior because he's got this mentality that God owes us a reason. God owes us an explanation. By the way, this wasn't a trial like Job in Job chapters one and two. This is washing his feet for crying out loud. It's amazing how we can get messed up over the smallest things. It's amazing sometimes how that can happen. And if we get messed up over the smaller things, what are we gonna do when the big stuff comes along? Think about that for a moment. And Peter just says, absolutely not. You are, you are gonna give me a reason, then I will not yield to what you wanna do. I'm thinking in 2 Kings chapter five, there was a Syrian captain named Naaman, uh, uh, an honorable man, a man of valor. Uh, he was a very accomplished man, but he got the disease of leprosy. Um, 
and, and leprosy what was a terrible thing. It, it, it still is, though there's medication and treatment for it now, but back then there was none. Naaman heard about this prophet in Israel named Elisha. And the king of Syria sent Naaman with this big entourage. He had all kinds of gold and silver and changes of garment to pay this prophet because he heard this prophet works miracles and could heal Naaman. The Bible says that Naaman's entourage pulled up in front of Elisha's house. Elisha looks out the window and said, yep, we got company. Elisha wasn't impressed by the big chariots and all the soldiers and the horses and, and, and all of their armor and, and garments and all of that. He sent his servant Gehazi out and said, hey, the prophet saw you. He knew what you're coming for. Here's what you need to do. You need to go down to the Jordan River and you need to dunk yourself seven times. If you'll do that, you'll be healed of your leprosy. Naaman's not getting the response he thought. Listen to what he had to say. Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. Didn't, didn't somebody as important as Naaman, wasn't he worthy of the prophet himself, not some servant? I thought he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He said, I thought the prophet was going to come out and he was going to play a Benny Hinn on me, be healed and smack me in the forehead and the leprosy be gone and be some dramatic thing. No, I get a servant, a servant talking to me, telling me what to do and I'm going to go dunk in that Jordan River place. He said, we got rivers in Syria that make the Jordan River look like a creek. What in the world is, and he's, he's stomping off. He's in a rage. I mean, he's so mad he can hardly understand it. And it was his own servant said, uh, hey, master, you know, you, you got leprosy and they ain't nothing back home that's going to help you. What's it going to hurt? I mean, just dip yourself in the Jordan if you get healed. Hey, praise the Lord. If not, what did you have to lose? And, and they kind of talked some sense into him. But you understand it wasn't what Naaman thought he would hear, so he got mad at God. Sometimes I open the Bible and what I read in there is a little hard to take. What God tells me to do is a little difficult. And the tendency is to say, that's too hard. I want to close my Bible, but that's the eternal word of God. If I'm going to grow in grace, I cannot respond to this book in stubborn unbelief. That's what Peter did. Lord, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. So notice what the Lord said to him in verse 8. Jesus answered, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Peter, if you don't let me do this, you and I are done. If you don't let me do this, you and I are going to have a parting of the ways. That no part in me means, Peter, we'll have nothing in common. Because see, what I'm doing to you is the will of God. What I'm doing is right. What I'm doing is needful for you. And if you reject that, you're rejecting the will of God in your life. The Bible says, can two walk together except they be agreed? So Peter is now faced with a choice. I'm going to say, no, Lord, you're not going to do this because I don't understand. Or Lord, okay, I don't get it, but I'm going to yield. If Peter held on in his unbelief, do you realize that would have made him unusable. 
He would have missed out on everything else that God had for him by just digging in, by the way, on something that really didn't matter much, washing his feet. The things we get bent out of shape about. In the grand scheme of things in eternity, generally are not, not all that important. It's just uh, the Bible's different than us. God said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways are much higher than you. So sometimes we just have to trust that. And Peter was not about to do that. So notice verse nine, Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. A moment ago, he's telling the Lord what he can't do. Now he's telling the Lord what he has to do. Peter's a lot like us, isn't he? We, we just think God's at our beck and call and, and, and he's got to do things the way that we want. And the Lord wasn't giving in to that at all. Uh, notice the Lord's response. This is important. I want you to understand this. Jesus saith unto him, he that is washed. That means you've taken a bath, taken a shower before you left home. You put on clean clothes. Needeth not save to wash his feet. So, here I am at home. I'm going to go to somebody's house for dinner. So I take a shower, put on clean clothes. This is Bible days now. And so I walk across town to Tim's house and I walk in. Well, I just took a bath, but my feet got dirty on the way. That's just how it is. Jesus said, I don't have to take another bath. I already did that, but I do need to wash my feet. If you will, this is about daily cleansing as we walk through this world and we pick up things, we need to make sure that we stay clean in the sight of God, amen? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The, the, the spiritual application of this is when we get saved, we are washed from our sins. And that's a one, once in a lifetime thing, amen? We believe in the doctrine of eternal security. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we could lose it, it was not eternal to begin with. And there's so much in the scripture that teaches that. But again, I got saved. But as I walk through life, I, I pick up filth along the way. I'm still saved. But if I'm going to have fellowship with God, I need to get things clean. That's what 1 John is teaching uh, uh, for us, uh, that we can't fellowship with him if we walk in darkness. So Peter is learning a spiritual truth there, um, but uh, he, he's got all this unbelief going. And finally, though, verse 12. So after he had washed their feet, had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I've done to you? He's going to explain. They didn't have to wait long. I like it when God shows me pretty quick what's going on. That night that my car broke down, again, in less than 24 hours, by noon the next day, I knew why God allowed that to happen to me. My sister got right with the Lord. My brother-in-law got saved. Again, they've been in church, a church like this ever since that time. Um, God's not always that quick about it. Joseph had to wait 39 years. 39 years before God's plan played out completely before him. That's a long time to wait, but he did it and he did it with the right spirit and he did it with faith. He did it trusting in the Lord that God knows and God knows what's best. So 
in the appropriate time, the Savior revealed the unknown. See, here's something the disciples needed to learn. We told you Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, make ready for us to have the Passover. So they got a room ready, got the food all ready, got the table, got all those those, uh, couches surrounding it uh, for Jesus and all 12 of the disciples, including Judas Iscariot. But the one thing they didn't care for was somebody to wash everybody's feet. And here's why. They had a problem with being a servant. The foot washing was always done in a household by either the lowest ranking servant, because it's kind of grody work, you know, cleaning out the crud from between other people's toes. I mean, really? Why do people become podiatrists? Why do people give pedicures? I just don't even understand it. You know, uh, it's a gross job. So it went to the lowest servant. If there were no servants, it went to the youngest child in the house. Now, obviously not a baby or whatever. How many of you are the youngest kid in your family? Okay, you would have been foot washers. Yay for you. But see, the disciples had a problem. They had a constant debate going on at all times. They even did it that night. Luke chapter 22 tells us that night at the Passover, they were arguing amongst themselves, who is the greatest? Which one of us, when he's gone, is going to be in charge? Everybody wants to be number one. Everybody wants to be boss man. Nobody wants to be foot washer. So Peter and John, they were supposed to take care of this. And I, I can sort of imagine the conversation, Peter saying, I ain't washing anybody's feet. John said, what do you think? I even got my mom to come asking him to make sure that I get to sit right next to him when we get to heaven. I'm not washing anybody's feet. Let's get Thomas. Nah, Thomas ain't gonna do it. He's allergic to foot powder. And I I can just see them going around. Nobody's gonna do it. Why? we're, We're too good for that. We're too important to wash feet. So it didn't get done. They, they broke a cardinal rule of custom. They dishonored the guest of honor, which was the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a one of them would even wash his feet. Oh, we'll take the big job. We'll take the platform job. We'll, we'll, we'll take the job that's going to get us attention. We'll, we'll, we'll take the job that's going to get us some notoriety. But the foot washing part, let's let somebody much lower on the totem pole than us take care of that. So the Savior said, fellas, we're going to deal with that spirit that you have. We're going to deal with that. There are no big shots in the kingdom of God. Did you get that? There are no big shots in the kingdom of God. God is allergic to big shots. Say, really? Yeah, that's why the Bible says repeatedly, God resisteth the proud. Tim, come on up here. Tim will be the proud. I'll be God. You thought he was much taller than this, didn't you? Okay? Tim Tim needs something from God. So he's going to come to me, but he's got pride issues. So he starts coming to me. And I know he's got pride issues. That's what resisteth means. It doesn't just mean God says, no, don't come near me. It means God shoves away. 
God's allergic to pride. But the Bible says he giveth grace to the humble. Take the same man with a humble spirit who needs God's work in his life. And he's like the, the man in the temple, the public, and said, Lord, uh, be merciful to me, a sinner. And, and, and he was so humble about it. He wouldn't even so much as look to heaven. God is drawn to that. Isaiah 57, 15, God says that I dwell with him that is of a contrite and a, a humble spirit. God's drawn to humility, but again, he pushes away. He's, he resisteth the proud. So you got these men that have been handpicked. Thank you, Brother Tim. Handpicked by Christ to become the apostles that God was going to use in the establishment of, of the church age and all of that. And here they are bickering about who's the most important. And not a one of them will wash even Jesus' feet. And Jesus said, we're not having this. That's why I told Peter, he said, if you don't let this happen, you and I are going to part ways. What is it that God's dealing with you about that's hard to swallow? What is it that God's allowed that you don't understand and so your mind is God's not being fair so you're digging in? There's two things that can happen to us. One, we can humble ourselves. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Or we can be humbled. So what's it mean to be humbled? That's where God shoves us down in the dirt and said, see, that's all you are. It's not God being mean. It's God reminding us that we are but dust. Understand that sometimes God has to do that. God has to chasten us in our ways if we won't humble ourselves. When we humble ourselves, we're giving honor to the Lord. When he has to humble us, that's humiliating, isn't it? So the Savior says, look, you need to know what I've done. If I'm your master and Lord and I'm willing to wash your feet, then you ought to wash each other's. There ought, to, there ought never be a mentality that, anybody's lower on the totem pole than we are. We ought to just put ourselves at the bottom and say, let me be a servant. I want you to turn to a remarkable verse in your Bibles, if you would, please, and then I'll be finished. Um, if I can find it, I always love it when I say there's a great verse. Galatians chapter five, it is a great verse. I did write it down. My life is complete. Galatians chapter 5. Look, if you would please, to verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. That doesn't mean we have the license to do as we please. It just means that in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we don't need a set of rules to tell us to do right anymore. He said, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. A lot of people are doing that this this day and age. But look at the end of verse 13. You might ought to highlight or underline it. But by love, do what? Serve one another. By love, serve one another. Sometimes that serving means forgiving. Sometimes that serving means helping someone out of a low place. Sometimes that serving means praying and fasting for them. 
Sometimes that serving means that we come along when someone's in a trial and we do everything we humanly can to, to buoy them up in the midst of the trial. But the Bible says, Here, here's what you do by love, serve one another. She so got Peter and John and all of these guys in there arguing in front of the Savior which one of them's the big shot. And the real big shot gets up and washes their feet and said, now I just left you an example, fellas. You need to stop this stuff. You need to become humble men because I can't use you until you do. That's an incredible lesson, isn't it? God used something unexpected, didn't explain it. And of course, Peter typically, and typical of me, typical of many of us, responds in unbelief, starts arguing with the Lord about it, and the Lord rebukes him for that. And by the way, to Peter's credit, he took the rebuke. He didn't stomp out of the room. Fine. There's no evidence that Peter did that. I don't see Peter sitting there glaring at Jesus for the rest of the night. I don't see that happening. Peter took it. Read the book of Acts. The Savior's gone. Not one time do you see Peter, James, John, Thomas, Philip, any of them arguing over who's the greatest. It doesn't come up even once. They let the Lord teach them. By the way, that night... By the time it was over, every one of them that had been debating over who was the greatest forsook him. They forsook him. And Peter, the spokesman, denied him three times. They got humiliated, didn't they? But they got the realization, there's nothing great about me. So why can't I be a servant? There's nothing special about me. So who am I to say I'm too good to be a foot washer? The only thing good about me is Jesus. And if he would wash somebody's feet, then so should I. Beloved, that's the mindset we need to ask the Lord to put in us. There is so much from this one event that took place in John chapter 13. Probably preach a number of sermons about it. But let's just narrow it down to this. Sometimes God's going to do some things we don't understand. Trust him. Sometimes God's not going to explain himself. Wait. Wait, I say, Upon the Lord, for they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But you gotta wait. You gotta wait to get that kind of strength. And when God rebukes you through His word, take it in humility, take it to heart, and by love, serve one another. By love, serve one another. On Mondays, at 9 o'clock, almost every Monday, I train with Sam. You knew a gym story was coming. I train with Sam. Mondays, we have a schedule. I can get my phone out and pull out my, 
my Google Drive, I guess you call it, and I can show you the, the thing Sam's mapped out. Monday is squats and overhead presses. They're the two things that I'm actually pretty good at. I'm confident in them. Um, and so I, I somewhat look forward to Mondays. It's, it's heavy weight now and all of that, but I can handle it. I can do it. And I've got it in my mind. Monday, we're going to do squats and, and overhead presses. Well, last Monday I walked in, I did my thousand meters of rowing on the rowing machine to warm up. Uh, I walked over and Sam said, I'm setting everything up. There was no bar on the squat rack. There was no bar on the rack that we use for overhead presses, but he had set up the deadlift bar. Don't really care for deadlifts. It's not my thing. I do them because they're good for you. Um, and, and I'm going to compete again, so I have to do them. But he had the deadlift bar and he had it set up with really heavy weight. So I'm expecting squats and overhead presses and I turn around and Sam's got the deadlift bar. Did you know that I didn't yell at Sam? Wait a minute. This is Monday. And we're supposed to do squats and deadlifts, deadlift, or squats and overhead press, deadlifts not till Friday, and you're messing up my schedule, and my mind was all set. I didn't do that. You know why? I trust my trainer. I trust my trainer. And we had a good day. And I ended up deadlifting more weight than I've ever lifted in my life because I trust my trainer. My God, our God, is wiser and smarter and stronger and better than any trainer on this planet. Why don't we trust him the same way? Why do we fuss with him? What is it God's trying to do in your life and you're pulling a Peter? Thou shalt never wash my feet. Okay. Unless you yield to this, we're done. How many can say, preacher, I'm saved, I'm washed. I can look back to the time, the place that I understood the gospel, received Christ as my savior, and I know for sure I'm gonna go to heaven someday, I've been washed. How many can say that? Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? Praise the Lord for that. Can we bow our heads for a moment?